This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oh, yeah! And it is going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown! It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good! We'll take you to places most fans never go. We'll watch from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the 2022 season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby. We got our holiday edition of Inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak gearing up for Christmas Eve noon in Cleveland. The Saints taking on the Browns and what everyone is anticipating to be the worst storm in the history of storms. Uh, I don't know about that, but I'm going to go with Christmas Steve in the Cleave. How about that? Oh, oh, yeah. I, think, I, I like that. That's funny. Yes. Christmas Steve out in the Cleave. It's going to be cold. It's going to be cold. Ooh. But first, we do want to talk about one one player who finally, 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 the NFL got its head out of its ass and got Demario Davis in the Pro Bowl. And then after we go through that, I'm going to welcome in Daryl Reuter of 923, the fan out in Cleveland. He's also the host of It's Always Game Day in Cleveland. Great podcast. Check it out. He's going to give us a lowdown on what to expect from the Browns. That's all. That's all I have to say. What's crazy is how are you an all pro, but not a pro bowler? Three times. Three, each of the last three seasons, he's been all pro. He was a first team all pro in 2019, second team all pro in 2020 and 2021. But for some reason, he was not able to get into the Pro Bowl any of those years, any of his first 10 seasons in the NFL. How is that system not a bunch of BS? That's the thing is being all pro should be more difficult. Absolutely um, right. The issue for him last year was Micah Parsons is technically a linebacker, but he effectively plays defensive end. Like the reason Micah Parsons made it last year is the same reason DeMario made it this year. And it's stupid because DeMario made it this year. I guarantee it because you look at the sack numbers and he has six and a half sacks. And last year, Micah Parsons made it on the strength of his sack numbers. Mm. But a linebacker is not there to get sacks. So like, why is that the differentiating factor? Either way, it's dumb, but good for him. Good for DeMario. That's like, you know, MVP in anything. I mean, you look at like a uh, baseball chicks dig the long ball. Well, everybody digs interceptions. Yeah. Everybody- and interception sacks. Sack. He- he has a sacks. He has an interception, and he leads the team in tackles. Right, like apparently, just doing a linebacker's job is not enough to make the Pro Bowl at linebacker, and that's what annoyed me last year with Micah Parsons. Like, if you look at Micah Parsons' like linebacker stats, 
DeMario was better, but he made it because he played at multiple positions. And anyway, it was stupid. Either way, DeMario Davis is the only Saints. I think that's part of it too. A lot of times they try to get one player from every team, right? And so because no one else made it from the Saints, <laughs> he was the most obvious choice. Honestly, could you really pull another pro bowler? Honestly. Yeah. Maybe Olave. Tyron. I don't know. Tyron if got safety. Yeah. I mean, he's the so I think Nick Underhill reported this that Tyron Matthew, um, Zach Wood, and uh Adam Prentice are alternates um for the Pro Bowl, which Tyron was Tyron was close. Tyron is probably the closest other than DeMario, obviously, to making it. I can't think of you know, maybe Pete Warner if he didn't get hurt, but once you I, I put Cam as games, an alternate. Cam, yeah, he, I mean, he's had a solid season, but the numbers aren't there, right? Like the numbers aren't Pro Bowl caliber. Um, he's been well, after slapping him in the face for the injury fine. They, they should let him in. Yeah, he missed a game that didn't help. Yeah, Olave's probably close, but again, it's like if he was a he, he's close as a rookie, right? But his numbers stacked up against like the Justin Jeffersons, obviously. Maybe maybe Ruiz, but he's hurt anyway, so it doesn't matter. What about Juwan? Yeah, Juwan, Juwan could have had a had a case. Taysom could have had a case. But Taysom the problem for is sure for too, both right? of them. The problem is for Taysom is I think like it, people still are confused what he is, which the only reason Taysom had a chance was that he's technically a tight end. And even though he doesn't play it, that could have been like, you know, kind of like how Micah Parsons made it because he basically played defensive end and he was called a linebacker. Taysom could have made it because you just look at the touchdown numbers and you're like, wow, he's nine touchdowns, you know? You um, just get the top players because Taysom Hill's obviously a top player in the NFL. And why wouldn't you want to display him on the all-star stage? I, I don't know. I think you need a position to make a Pro Bowl because there it's, is it's no tough. position to define him, though. That's not fair. Well, there's a team. But he deserves to be on the field end. with everyone. He's more likely to make it as a tight end than any other position. So, but, but we I all know know. he's he's not that though. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's, it's like weird. I guess like you would call him like a utility infielder, you know, like that sort of thing. But I don't know. Like I, I don't think that I don't think that you look at what he's done and say like, oh, he's he's being snubbed from the Pro Bowl. I think, think because of his multiple usage, though, and those stats get spread out, it does get overlooked in total Yeah, of what exactly. he does. Exactly. Like, he, he's a tight end who has two receiving touchdowns, right? Like, that hurts. Like, whereas he's a tight end with five rushing touchdowns, which, you know, he's probably going to set the record. He, he may have set the NFL record for rushing touchdowns by a tight end, right? It's right, stupid. right. Why, why haven't they released that stat from NFL stats? Because it's because it's dumb. <laughs> he has to he can make up anything. Yeah. It was like, I'll take it from a fantasy perspective. He's a fantasy sure. all-star. I'm going to start him at tight end this week. And we're going to get more into that. But yeah, it's uh, either way, DeMario Davis, very deserving of the Pro Bowl. Good for him. Happy for him. That's hopefully hopefully he gets a nice bonus out of it. Yeah, I, I want to check his contract and see if there's any es- Pro Bowl escalators. I bet there are. I bet he will get a decent bonus um, out of that. But no, like you could look at the rest of the Saints and I think it's pretty clear that if there was that Saint this season, obviously it should be DeMario. He's been all over a contributor and obviously a leader in the tough times for this, you know, this squad. That's It's been a struggle, but the, you're not seeing this team backpedal any. And I think that's part of the strength of the, you know, the guys that are still in there that they haven't just totally quit kind of deal because they're real. We, we know realistically the playoff chances are slim to none. They're not, there's no none. Stop saying none. 
there is you can't say slim to none when they're they're just slim. I just see for for Tampa, I see Arizona, Carolina, Atlanta, and I'm not I'm not convinced they're going to drop two of those. Yeah, but until then, they're just slim. They're not none. I would I mean, agree with you if, for example, they had two of their last three games against like the Texans and the Colts, two teams who are literally just like we suck and the best case scenario is we get the best draft pick possible. Right. And that's not really the case here. You know, the Cardinals sure, maybe, but in week, I think this is still, I think this is a coach trying to keep his job and you don't lose that game. Intentionally Kingsbury or the Tampa coach. Okay. Oh no, no. Yeah. Cliff. I think Cliff is a Cliff is very much in a situation where he's not going to benefit from tanking. Because if they go, if they lose their final three games and look bad doing it, he gets fired. So, like, I don't think that that's going to be a situation. And you know, you're just going to see what happens. But these final, those final two games, all you can ask is for you, like this, the Bucks to have to face a team that's going to try, and that's what you're going to get. So, see, is the is Arizona front office though? Are they going to be more committed to to Cliff or to the quarterback? Well, because yeah, I don't that's, know, a good, that's a good. I don't question. know if those two can really coexist anymore. It's a good question, but at, at the same time, it's like I don't really care what the front office wants to do. I just want to see them put a team on the field that is like them competing. And so hopefully that's what you get. Either way, we've talked so much about this. We don't need to talk about this anymore. Let's shift to the fact that you're going to be freezing freaking cold over the next 48, 72 hours. Uh, you're about to fly out this afternoon with the team. They're going out a day early because it's supposed to snow the next couple of days. How have you prepared, Steve? Uh, heading into the worst storm imaginable. Uh, it's been funny hearing, you know, people talk about the snow, the wind, the cold, the wet, the you know, everything for it. Uh, I, I woke up and I, I don't know, I had this like n- this feeling I needed to get one of those big ski mask deals. So I went to Academy Sports and got some more head coverage worrying about these, you know, 25, 35 mile an hour winds. They're saying gusts could be up to 50 miles an hour. Um, I think that's pretty crazy, along with, you know, 13 degree weather, we'll say, with the wind chill of whatever. It goes down to like, it feels like seven degrees or minus. I don't I don't know what they're saying in that aspect. But I'm, I'm ready with thermal. I'm ready with hand warmers. I'm ready with feet warmers. Uh, thermal socks, thermal underwear, thermal shirt, everything thermaled out. I am Captain Thermal heading into the game. I think the wind will be the more of a factor than just the temperature out there. I mean, I think it says 30 to 50 mile per hour wind. I mean, that's pretty significant. And so we, we it's funny because we talked to Andy yesterday and Andy was just like, yeah, it's going to be cold. It's going to be windy, you know. I've done this before, and right. he has. He spent the first nine years of his career in Cincinnati, and it was funny because we were like, when you were in Cincinnati, did you ever get questions about the cold like this, or was it just like, yeah, it's kind of how it is? And he said, no, absolutely not. <laughs> they did not get questions about the cold. They got more questions about, oh, you're going to Miami in the, in September. It's gonna be it's gonna be hot. Uh, how how are you gonna handle this? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's kind of funny how that works. But yeah, when you're in the AFC North. Cold is assumed. I think even though, first of all, the players that are in Cleveland, I don't think you get adapted to these conditions in any way where it's like it's it's not going to be a big deal for them either. But two, shout out to those fans that are actually going to be out there. I can't imagine what attendance is going to be like. Um, it's going to be interesting to see for sure. But the folks 
that I know are pretty wild, crazy fans in the dog pound, obviously, too. And they're going to have folk, you know, you're going to see that guy shirtless with a dog bone in his mouth. And I don't know, that seems it seems unmanageable, that kind of weather. I'm just glad they'll have the the big jet engine turbo heaters on the sideline, too. I'll be hanging by that a lot. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you ever get used to 13 degrees, but I do think like, yeah, you 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 at least have a better, you're more acclimatized to it than obviously the Saints will be, but they're only going to be playing in it for one day. You can survive it one day. You don't need to like buy real estate, right? One thing that's, I'm interested to see what they do today. They were outside yesterday. And, you know, when I asked DA whether that was kind of intentional to kind of just get a little bit more used to the colder weather, he kind of laughed which I think is like, yeah, I mean, it's 48 degrees, which is a little colder, but it's still not cold. Uh, uh, still, but I do think that was an intentional decision where they're just, you know, they're trying to work their way into it, right? You practice outside for a couple of days, you get your hands used to being cold and how that kind of feels. And then you go there and it goes down by 40 more degrees and, and you're there. That practice facility, the indoor is like a mini dome. Everything's perfect conditions. There's nothing bothering you. And yeah, you, the being outside on that the field out there gives you a way better field of what's going to f- at least attempt to be like a uh, kind of be like in Cleveland. But yeah, the you can't simulate. You can do crowd noise. You can't simulate thirteen degrees. I don't know. I kind of felt like they probably could have like cranked up the AC and got it about <laughs> colder in there than it would have. Like they could have turned it into a refrigerator, <laughs> which would have been kind of funny. Right. <laughs> it's like old, big old meat locker. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what they could have done to really mess with them is they have the the cooling thing, the cooling like uh, tra- truck or uh, like what do you what do you call it? You know, like the, the container where they go in during training camp. I yeah. bet you could. I bet you could crank that thing down to basically like like a like a like an external freezer. <laughs> Just have everyone sitting there. Like, <laughs> well, they do have those cryo chambers, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how that would help you because you kind of want to, you have to be able to perform while you're cold as opposed to just sitting there and dying. Uh, anyway, but no, you know, the, we, the wind, we, we, we mentioned with the weather and everything, and you heard Dalton say it there too. The wind's definitely the biggest factor. I mean, forget yeah, and, the, the, what the weather temperature is going to be. Yeah. And so one thing that I saw somebody mention, and it's a good point is like, okay, so how will the wind affect it? So the wind is going to blow Southwest, which, you know, whatever the mile per hour is Southwest, you know, obviously. So, okay. If that's going across the stadium, it's not going to be as big of a factor or at least it's not going to change how you operate. Whereas in this case, the stadium is like slightly like the field is like slightly North Northwest. So there will be one team at all times going into the wind and another team going against the wind. And we talked to uh, you know, a guy who has some familiarity playing in the cold. He hates the cold because he's from Mississippi, but he has played in cold weather games and he's played well in cold weather games. And uh, let's do some callister. We talked to him on Sports Talk this week. Here's what he had to say about kind of what to expect in that game. This will be old school 1940s type football. I mean, it will be like, what is a forward pass? Uh, <laughs> from, 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 from a kicking game standpoint, no different. And so you will have situations where it may be just conducive to go for it on fourth down just because why am I trying to punt and or kick a field goal or extra point in those elements, particularly when you don't have the wind to your back. Now, when you have the wind to your back, that's where you've got to be just really, really aggressive with some of your play calling. Uh, you know, you can't be sloppy tackling. I know that uh, there may be maybe some snow uh, as well. I know it's not probably supposed to stick, but if that's the case as well, now you're talking about a wet football 
as well as cold. And so uh, it's going to be interesting. You know, it, it, it'll be interesting. But it, your game plan definitely changes when you have the wind to your back and when you don't have the wind to your back. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Like, when you're watching this game, that's going to be a factor. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if, if like, because I think when you when you flip a coin at the beginning of the game and you win, you have the option to either take the ball, like, choose whether you receive or defer – or pick us out of the field. And I wouldn't be surprised in this instance, especially like, for example, get to overtime. You get to decide if you, like you, you might defer the decision of, okay, who wants the ball first and say, no, I want to defend this side of the field, right? Because that's going to be as big of a factor as anything. It's like, are you playing with the wind or against the wind? And we saw that last year in the Buffalo New England game where the, the Patriots won the game. I think Mac Jones threw the ball like what, twice, three times? And the Patriots won. They ran the ball 40 times, and they were able to get it done. And that might be what how this game turns out. You don't expect there to be much of a passing attack at all. Um, when you're playing into the wind, you can throw the ball. I'm sorry. When you're playing with the wind, you can throw the ball. So what, like what Deuce is saying, and I think it's a good point, is you have to make sure you take advantage of those possessions. Like if, for example, the Saints are playing into the wind in the first quarter, and the game, and it's tied 0-0 after the first quarter, the Saints won that quarter because they have an, a, a, a very big advantage when they flip fields and suddenly they have to win at their back, right? So as an offense, you need to make sure you take advantage of those possessions where you have the ball and the wind. And like, like so here's another one. Like if you there's, were playing with still a chance, though, the ball gets caught up, though. And I mean, and how, I mean, sure. I mean, that's that's true. But like you can kick it. Because you're not kicking into the wind, you can throw it more consistently and more accurately. So yeah, you know, you might sail the ball a little bit, but you are at least like if, if there's 40 mile an hour winds coming at you and you are trying to throw a ball accurately, you cannot do it. It is physically impossible. So like all you can do is throw a fastball or just hope for the best. Whereas oh, when you're Martin, all those deep passes we have that we usually do. And they, this team actually does go deep a good bit relative to like what we saw in the past with Drew Brees. Um but that's not going to be a game part of the game plan in this game, unless, for example, you have the wind at your back. So, like, those are going to be possessions where you're going to want to watch that. Where, like, so if you have the wind at your back and it's getting down toward the end of the first quarter and you're in the red zone, you might call timeouts because you don't want to have to switch fields, switch sides of the field on that possession. You know what I mean? Or like, if if the clock is here, here's the thing. If it's like fourth down and you're trying to kick like a 48-yard field goal and there's like 12 seconds left in the first quarter, you're going to call a timeout to kick on that side of the break. You know what I mean? Like you could see that happen. It's just, it's just an interesting dynamic that you're going to want to watch because the wind is going to be a major factor in terms of who's going into it and who's playing with it. No, there's definitely like, I guess you could call it sort of a chess game there with obviously field position or where yeah where you your your starting position is going to be depending on the direction i'm just wondering though too like yeah we're, i guess you'll have to wait to see what game day to see what the winds are exactly like i mean but because what if they're like this that terrible kind of swirling wind you know going around that will just make it you know, the ball kind of like pick up and spin like a top you're not giving it any velocity with anything like behind you yeah, I think you could pretty much project which direction it's going to go, and you just don't know how how um, like violent it's going to be. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it, it is going to be a question of like, okay, you're punting. Can you punt? <laughs> right? <laughs> like yeah. if you're if you're a fourth and two and you're talking about punting into the wind, 
maybe you go for it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> or it's got to be like, you can do only like line drive puns. Yeah, right. And at that point, it's like you're risking a big return, you know? So it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be interesting to watch. Deuce did bring up one other factor that I think is going to be very 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 um, interesting uh, to watch in this game. It's a career high touch game. So if his high has been 10, 12 previously, he's gonna be in that number, fifteen to twenty. I mean, that, that, and that's just being honest. That's where he will be at uh, as far as not only from a quarterback standpoint, but just touches, uh, getting him the football, letting him be able to carry it, and just grind out yards. Sounds like a beautiful thing to me. Yeah, no, and I think it's a good point because, you know, we talked about this before we come we came on. It's like I wouldn't be surprised if you end up seeing entire possessions where, you know, the wind is just makes it impossible to pass. And, you know, what's your best option, right? If you get to a point in the game when the Browns are loading up against the run, like the Browns, regardless of who you have in the game, whether you have Andy Dalton or Taysom Hill, they are just loading up because they know you're going to run it because they know you can't pass wouldn't it just make more sense to have Taysom Hill in the game anyway and just run that ground and pound offense? So I wouldn't be surprised. Like this season, pretty much you have seen one-off snapped. Maybe in, in some instances you've seen maybe two in a row where Taysom Hill will get the ball. Like if he gets a first down, sometimes they'll leave him in and let him and let him run that first down. Um, in this case, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe you end up with three, four, five run, like, like runs of like three or four or five or snaps in a row where he just keeps going if it's working. Because taking him off the field and being like, okay, Andy, we're going to put you out there. They know you're going to hand the ball off. I don't know if that's going to benefit you. And at least if you have Taysom in there, you can get creative with how you operate and you might be able to catch him off guard with, you know, Taysom, you know, if we want to say like he has no touch on the ball, well, there's going to be no touch on these balls in 30 mile an hour wind. You're all you can do is throw a fastball and hope for the best. And I think if you had to give Taysom Hill in terms of a passer, one accolade, it's that he's got a fastball. He doesn't have a changeup. He doesn't have a curveball, but he's got a fastball. And so that might actually work out to your advantage in this game. Can we get Shahid a reverse or something going in this game? Yeah, right. I think you're going to have to get creative on the ground, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, however you can incorporate it, because I don't know if you're going to be able to throw deep balls because I just don't know if you can trust where the ball is going to go. I mean, the good thing is, I mean, you got, you got guys that have been good with yards after the catch, at least. Yeah. Maybe Alvin Kamara, you know, he likes these Christmas games. Will he have the the magical cleats on this game? You're going to need Alvin in this game, right? You're going to need Alvin. It looks like the Browns are going to have Nick Chubb. So, yeah, you're going to need Alvin. You're going to need a run game. You're going to need to be able to create. And you also want to be the team playing from ahead in this game. You do not want to be the team that's behind oh, and sure. forced to have to pass in those conditions, right? And so whoever can get on the board first, however it is, because, again, who knows if you're going to be able to kick you know, like if whoever can get on the board first and get themselves out to a lead in this game, it's going to have a huge advantage because every because from that point on, you're going to be playing downhill and the OT is going to be playing uphill. And you don't want to be doing that, especially if there's snow. That's a, that's a recipe for a snowball. I feel like I hear like the Superman music in the background with Taysom Hill ready to rip open the, you know, the S on his chest. No, that's my dog barking. He's mad. <laughs> he wants to go outside. This is usually his walk time, but I'm here talking to you. But I mean, li- listen, I we, we, I think we think that obviously you're going to need to dominate in the trenches because the ground game is going to be so key uh, because of the, the wild wind that can go from 25 to 40. We're hearing I, I'm, in, I'm interested to see what exactly it is on game day. Um, but either way, that uh, it's going to be a factor getting the ball out to guys. 
not going to be something easy. I think you have at least that that short attack, a guy like Jawan Johnson who shined this year and be able to do things with the ball afterwards. And just, yeah, man, I would love to see a heavy dose of Taysom just because of that question that he still brings and the excitement, obviously, that when he's in the game uh, running things as well because you don't know what's coming. But you do. It's weird. You do know what's coming, but you just don't know what he's going to do. I'm sorry if you hear my dog barking. So for perspective, he is standing at the bottom of the stairs. He hasn't come upstairs to yell at me through the door. He knows I'm talking about him now. He's standing at the bottom of the stairs and barking up the stairs saying, you have one job. (laughs) You have one job and you're not doing it. And that is to take me outside when I, when I tell you, and this is how he tells me anyway. So who I let think the that's dog where we wrap it up because I don't. He's not going to stop. He's going to do this until I come down there. <laughs> he's adamant. Take me out now. So let's wrap this up. So full disclosure: we were recording this in the morning. Steve has to get on a plane and fly out to Cleveland with the team. I am going to finish up this episode once we get the injury report. So once this segment stops, there will be a gap, and I'll come back and I'll finish it. And then after that, <laughs> God, Zuma, shut up. He's so annoying. <laughs> after that we will have a breakdown on what to expect from the browns with daryl reuter you can find him on twitter at reuter r-u-i-t-e-r wrong (laughs) f-a-n he is the host for 923 the fan in cleveland he also hosts game day c-l-e the podcast on the browns steve set that up i appreciate it and he's clearing out he's gonna make me do all the work while he's while he's hanging out in the cleave yeah, I can't wait to say how I'm going to spend my Friday in Cleveland. Is it really? I don't. I don't know. Bundled close, up. I don't know how close we're going to be to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm hoping to see that at least. Although yeah. one of the the guys we're traveling with mentioned that the OG, the original um, Christmas Story house, is in Cleveland. Nice. Yeah. So take a picture of that. There you go. Shoot my eye out. All right, so, fudge. Okay, well, that's going to wrap it up for us on this segment of Inside Black and Gold. I'm going to cut Steve loose, and I'll come back with the latest on the injury report. We'll be getting, we should be getting game day designations today. Usually that'd be Friday, but they play on Saturday, so everything's a day early. And then, as I mentioned, we'll have Daryl Reuter to break down what to expect from the Browns. Stick around on Inside Black and Gold, and uh, send send your send your prayers for Steve so that he doesn't that he returns with all of his fingers and toes from this. I'm uh, just hoping we don't get stuck in Cleveland. Yes, no one wants that. Christmas Steve in the Cleave is one thing. Christmas Day in the Cleave Oof. is a nightmare. All right. Sounds like a hangover, too. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back here on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. As I told you to end the last segment, I am flying solo here, and I'm going to break down what we learned from the injury report on Thursday. This is the final injury report of the week because they play on Saturday. It's a day early, so you move everything up. 
Saints are actually traveling out to Cleveland today instead of tomorrow as they normally would. That's part of the reason Steve isn't here because he flies out on the team plane and he had to go today. So that's why I am solo. All right. And then after we go through that, I'm going to welcome in Daryl Reuter of 923, the fan out in Cleveland. He's also the host of It's Always Game Day in Cleveland. Great podcast. Check it out. He's going to give us a lowdown on what to expect from the Browns in this week 16 Christmas Eve matchup in frigid Cleveland. So without further ado, let's get to the injury report. The first note I'll make is there are four players declared out. That does not include Cesar Ruiz, who went on injured reserve with a list frank injury same type of injury that Taysom hill had at the end of last season it's going to end his year he does not have enough time to get healthy and come back and i don't know if he even could based on what we know about list frank injuries the bummer about it all is it happened really late you know one of the reasons that we didn't anticipate it coming is happened so late in the win over the falcons that he never had to go back on the field and test it out right we never saw him get replaced so we wouldn't even have guessed that he was dealing with an injury but yes he has a Liz Frank injury, and it will put him on injured reserve. He is done for the year. Now, the injury report itself, there are four players listed out. The first I will mention is wide receiver Jarvis Landry. He is dealing with an ankle injury. It's the same ankle injury he has dealt with all season long. He suffered it in week three. He tried to play through it in week four. did not go well. He missed several weeks. He finally came back. He's clearly not been himself and is reported today from multiple sources that he will go to injured reserve, major, major bummer. Just another wide receiver you're really excited about who had his season basically torpedoed by a persistent ankle injury. It's a nothing you can really do about it. It's a bummer. You have to wonder if maybe he didn't try to play through it in week four. Maybe he could have come back and been healthy, but, you know, it happened, and this is where you are, and he is on injured reserve. So you will not have Jarvis Lander the rest of the way. You're going to have to make do with the guys you have, and that's why the next name on this list is really, really disappointing in the sense that you're going to you're gonna have to throw to somebody because wide receiver Chris Olave, rookie, who's having a great season, still, I think, had a chance at, at rookie of the year. He's going to be out with a hamstring injury. This is the first we've heard of the hamstring injury, so it seems like this is something that came in that win over the Falcons. He did go into the injury tent for a very short period, came out, uh, finished the game, but he has not practiced all week. He will not play. So that leaves you really shorthanded on the wide receiver staff Looks like Kirk Merritt will be getting the call up to the 53-man roster. So rather than being elevated as he has been the last few weeks, he is being signed to the 53. So that means he'll probably be around the rest of the season. So, hey, maybe we'll get some good run out of Kirk Merritt, another rookie that will not – another young player who hopefully can make an impact prior to the end of the season. Now, that also means maybe Traquan Smith, the guy who you haven't really heard from, Marquez Calloway, Rashid Shahid, obviously – and uh, who knows? Kevin White's still down there on the practice squad. Keith Kirkwood as well. They could be. I think Kevin White has already used up all of his practice squad elevations. So if they wanted to have him up, they would have to sign him. But Keith Kirkwood, I believe, has one left. So you might see Keith Kirkwood elevated. Either way, I don't expect there to be much passing as we have documented in this game. So it probably won't affect you that much this week. And honestly, that might be one of the reasons you're not pushing Chris Olave to get out there because you don't anticipate a very hefty passing attack in this game. But we'll see. Going down the line. Running back Dwayne Washington, he is out again. And Dennis Allen told us that he's dealing with cluster migraines. It might seem odd to anyone who's never dealt with a migraine that he would miss two games with with what's essentially a really bad headache, right? But, you know, as someone who's dealt with migraines, I can tell you that you ain't playing with that. You ain't. I mean, like if you've ever had a concussion, right? Like the the same type of sensitivity to light, 
right? Like the same type of issues that will keep you off the field with a concussion. It's a lot of what you're dealing with, with a migraine and you don't want to mess around with that, you know, and, and honestly, migraines are a product of, of head injuries as well. So who knows if maybe he had a head injury that led to this and maybe it was undiagnosed. I don't know. It's a good move by the saints to keep him out not try to force him back. Hopefully it doesn't keep him out too long. He's a very good special teams player and hopefully he he's able to, to feel better because no one, you don't want anyone dealing with my, like migraines are the worst, you know, they are truly brutal. I mean, you remember Percy Harvin, like his career effectively was ended by migraines. Like, so hopefully he can get back, but you know, prayers up to, to Dwayne, you know, that's not fun for anybody. It's not fun for anybody. Finally, Pete Werner, linebacker, also dealing with a hamstring injury. We have graduated from the contagious ankle injuries to the contagious hamstring injuries. He will be out a real bummer. He was out for, I want to say, five weeks with that ankle injury. He actually had surgery to repair it. So I guess the one positive you can say is he didn't re-injure the ankle. But, you know, a lot of times when you're dealing with an injury to your lower body and you're compensating in some way and then another part of your body gets hurt because of that, that could be what's happening. We don't know. Either way, he's out with a hamstring injury. And, uh, yeah, that's a bummer. That's a bummer. But the good news is you're confident in what you can get out of Caden Ellis in that will roll. So you don't feel like you have to push Pete Warner back. But yeah, I mean, it's just another week, another week with uh, a lot of absences. And those are just the players that are declared out. Now, the remainder are questionable. Several of these players, who knows? Cornerback Marshawn Lattimore with an abdomen injury. Dennis Allen told us today that he's the closest he's been to getting back, which, you know, I mean, that's kind of an obvious statement, but um, I think if you read between the lines, it's, you know, it's, he's, it's, you're, you're getting close, right? You're getting close. Hopefully he can get back. If not, you're looking at Alante Taylor, Paul Snadivo, Bradley Roby kind of doing the same split they did last week. The good news is all three of those guys are healthy. So you're not going to be dealing with any of them missing, but it sure would be nice to get Marshawn Lattimore back, even if it's on a pitch count, even if he's, a, even if he's limited because he's that good and he's that impactful when he is out there and healthy. So, but he's going to be somebody to watch. Also, safety Marcus May dealing with a shoulder injury. He's had the hokey pokey of injuries this season. It just seems week week after week after week he's dealing with something. You know, it's 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 a bummer for him. But you know, hopefully he can get out there. But yeah, he's dealt with. You know, obviously he came in with the Achilles tear that he was rehabbing. He had a sad rib injuries, abdomen injuries, ankle injuries. You name it, he's dealt with it. But he's he's been very good the last few weeks. So hopefully he can get out there. Tight end Adam Troutman still dealing with an ankle injury. You know, it did not keep him out last week. So hopefully that's the case again. Safety PJ Williams dealing with a knee injury. He's been absent the last couple of weeks. And then left guard Andrews Pete. He was a late addition to the injury report. He was not on it. Tuesday or Wednesday, he would have practiced both days. He, they didn't practice on Tuesday, but he would have practiced. He was out there on Wednesday. He was not out there today. So that's going to be something to monitor. Anytime you pop up on the injury report late in the week, it means something happened. Fortunately, I mean, I mean, you know, I don't want to say fortunately, but it is an illness as opposed to an actual injury. So hopefully maybe it's a 24-hour bug. He can get through it and play. But that's going to be something to watch because, as we mentioned, you're already going to be without Caesar Ruiz. On the Brown side of things, you know, they had a pretty hefty injury report themselves, but they came out of it clean as much as you can. The only player who will miss on the Brown side is defensive end Jadavian Clowney, who is dealing with a concussion. That makes sense. It's really difficult to clear the concussion protocol in a week period, let alone a short week. So he will be out. And then safety John Johnson III is listed as questionable. He's the only other player with a game day designation. So everyone else on that list you would expect to play, and that includes running back Nick Chubb, who is dealing with a foot injury. Um, it's interesting that he's not listed as questionable at all because, you know, 
whenever you miss practice at some point, you would expect it to impact your game day status, but nope, he will be out there uh, and the Saints are going to have to deal with him. And, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot. You're going to have to figure it out. As we mentioned in that first segment, you know, maybe Kirk Merritt gets a role, maybe Taysom Hill gets a role. And uh, yeah, you're just going to try to, you're just going to try to piece things together as you have all season. And if you can come out with a win and hope we can get some of these guys back on new year's day and, and make a push for, the playoffs, uh, hoping the Bucks drop a couple games. Man, it, it sure it really is a bummer for the Saints wide receiver core. I mean, you, I think it was Ra- Ralph Malbro, uh, you know, the Saints Happy Hour podcast tweeted, you know, it was really nice that eight minutes that Mike Thomas, Jarvis Landry, and Chris Olave were all healthy at the same time. And man, it really, oh gosh, every year, every year you go through this, and there's some injuries. The NFL, you have injuries. Like they're never going to have a season with no injuries, right? That doesn't happen. That's never happened in the history of the NFL. But, man, what the the Saints have dealt with the last two seasons has truly been brutal, especially at the wide receiver position. You know, you went went through last year with, you know, you had Mark West Calloway, Deontay Hardy, Traquan Smith, you know, all these guys that, you know, probably are your wide receiver three on a bad day, or probably your wide receiver three on a good day when everyone's healthy. And you were like, this year, you went, man, you upgraded Jarvis Landry, you got Mike Thomas back, you spent a ton of capital on Chris Olave, and you've got Rashid Shaheed showing up out of the woodwork. And you just can't keep him on the field, can't keep him on the field. And um, they're all catching passes from Andy Dalton. If you would, if you could go back in time and pull some, pull a Saints fan over on the side of the street and say, hey, what would you say if I told you in week 16 of the NFL season, you would have Andy Dalton throwing passes to Rashid Shahid as probably your wide receiver one? You, he would say something terrible has occurred. <laughs> so we're probably not having a great season then. And uh, yes, you are five and nine. So yeah. Anyway, the good news here is you are reasonably healthy on the defensive side of the ball, or at least as healthy as you have been. You, you know, there's no major surprises on here. Obviously, being without Pete Werner is a bummer, but you have learned how to play without him in the last month or so. So you won't really miss a beat with him not in there because you feel so confident in Caden Ellis. The offensive line is going to be a question, right? Calvin Throckmorton's probably going to step in there. We talked to him in the locker room. He seemed pretty confident. But I imagine you'll, you, you could also see a role for Trevor Penning. I don't think midweek you will make a significant change and move your left tackle to guard maybe the final couple weeks of the season that's something you entertain I would be surprised if you see it this week but yeah that's what you're looking at the other guy who I would expect to be active this week is Eno Benjamin I don't know how much the Saints coaching staff is going to hold the fumble against David Johnson but it might have opened the door for, you know, a potential switch at RB2, depending on, you know, how Eno has performed in practice, how quickly he's picked up the playbook. That's going to be the biggest issue, I think, in this week. It's another short week, and this guy's been in town for eight, nine days. How how much has he been able to pick up? But I do think before the end of the season, you will get a good look at Eno Benjamin. I'm just not sure if it'll be this week. But either way, that's what we're looking at. I'm not going to go too deep into it. I mean, that's that's really all you need to know. Those are the names you're not going to see. We'll learn more when we find out the game day inactives. But that's going to come sometime Saturday morning. We'll update them on WWL, so keep an eye on that. And, uh, yeah, that's going to wrap up that segment. And we'll be coming back with Daryl Reuter 
sports reporter for 923 The Fan out in Cleveland. Also the host of It's Always Game Day in Cleveland. Great podcast. Go behind enemy lines and check it out. Stick around on Inside Black and Gold and hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. I feel like I say that every time I record one of these, but I'm not sure if you're doing it. I mean it. Hit the subscribe button. Leave us a review. I do appreciate it. I don't feel like I've gotten a review in forever, and I can't be doing good things. I'm never doing good things. Complain. Complain to me. All right? Stick around. back here on inside black and gold i'm jeff nowak we cut steve geller loose he's somewhere a couple thousand feet up in the air flying up to frigid cleveland but the good news is we have someone already out in cleveland to give us a lowdown on the browns is daryl Ryder, browns reporter for 92.3 the fan and host of the it's always game day in cleveland podcast how you doing daryl it's cold out there yeah uh, not yet it no. will be in about 12 hours, but right now the deep freeze is, I guess, on the way. Is that the meteor- meteorological term that they uh, they use? It's on the way. It's it makes sense happen. to me, but give me what temperature is it right now? Right now it's 42 degrees. Yeah, so to me that's cold. For Cleveland in December, that's actually warm. It, that's t-shirt weather here. <laughs> yeah, like it's about uh, it's about 48 to 50 right now in New Orleans, and I'm dying. Um, well, I, I'll tell you this. I, I know this that when you go, uh, when you get to the south, fifty degrees hits a lot harder in yeah. the south than it does uh, up north. It, fifty degrees down south is the equivalent of being like below freezing up north in the winter. Well, so I grew up, I grew up in New England, so I'm familiar with the weather temperature. But the difference to me, and I've said this on this podcast, and anyone listening to this podcast has heard me say this several times. The biggest issue is I can't insulate my home, like. The house does not warm up. It's like whatever temperature it is outside, it is inside. So there's a lot of sweatshirts and uh, and warm socks. But either way, it's you know what it's going to be down to like 13, I believe, for this game, or at least 13 is the high. It could be like in the single digits for this game. And I mean, even for an Ohio winter, that's a pretty crazy number. Am I right? Well, it's not so much the temperature that's going to be the problem. It's the, the wind. wind chill, and they are forecasting winds of. Uh, at least 30 miles an hour coming straight off the lake. And there is yeah. nothing that stops the wind coming off the lake other than first energy stadium. So <laughs> that when they're forecasting wind chills to be around 20 below zero, that's what hits you hard. Now this yeah. is going to be the coldest Browns game that they will have played at least at home since the 2009 season, they hosted the Steelers on a Thursday night, beat them 13 to six uh, in that game, temperatures were in the single digits. The wind chills were around 15 to 18 below zero. So the temperature is going to be a little warmer, but the wind chill going to be worse. So, And, and there's also, uh, we're expecting a white Christmas to be coming yeah. with this. Uh, I guess they're calling it a bomb cyclone or whatever. It, it is funny because the, when the Saints went out to Seattle last year, they, de- they dealt with a bomb cyclone. Like, first time I had ever heard that term. But it was, you know, it was warmer weather at that point, so it was rain and wind. It is kind of wild that two consecutive seasons the Saints have had to go on the road and face a bomb cyclone. But yeah, it's uh, I, I'm like Steve is out there and he's he spent like all week like buying clothing 
to bring because it's Smart like, man. he doesn't even own the proper attire to go out there and deal with that. I hope he brought a stocking cap, some gloves, has a hoodie that he can pull over said stocking cap, maybe some goggles to cover the eyes. Uh, yeah. True story. So that game that I mentioned, that Thursday night game, my eye walking back at like three in the morning uh, to the parking lot, one of my eyes, my right eye froze. The, oh my tears, the tears in my eye had froze because I wasn't blinking enough to keep it, you know, I guess unfroze. And you want to talk about unimaginable pain. Yeah, uh, think that... of 1,000 needles getting stuck into your eye all at the same time. Now, granted, as soon as I got in my car, like it took two seconds for it to unfreeze, but that actually happened. Like I could not physically blink. <laughs> it was the worst, but um, it's yeah, so it's cold. Gonna... Your face literally develops icicles. Yes, uh, it's so cold. You wish you did not feel your face. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Steve. So Steve is our sideline reporter, so he'll be down there. But I told him, like, uh, it... and guess what? I got bad news for him. He has the south sideline. That's yeah. the visitor sideline, and it's going to suck <laughs> to be him because that's where the wind is going to hit straight on so all his sideline reports he's probably gonna have to do it like with his back to the field he's gonna have to do one of these like my, i'm turning my back to you right now this is what steve is gonna have to do at first as he's doing his uh, sideline reports because he's gonna be so it's all that wind is gonna be right in his face yeah i have a feeling he's gonna be like bumping people out of the way to get in front of those jet heaters or whatever they have down there Another thing, he don't get within eight feet of those things or else you could catch on fire. Bust. I, I, a true story that apparently has happened where somebody has caught fire from Yikes. one of those. So yeah, if you get cold enough, it might not be the worst. You know, we've spent like literally, it is funny because we talked to Andy Dalton yesterday and he obviously spent his whole career in the AFC North. Yep. And he knows full well how cold it can get in Ohio in the winter. And it was funny because we were talking to him and we were asking him all about it. And you could tell he was like, yeah, it's not, it's, it's cold. It's, it's what happens. And we asked him, was like, would you even get asked questions like this? If you're still up in Cincinnati, You're like, nope, they would ask me more questions about, oh, you're going down to Florida. It's going to be hot. How are you going to handle? But, you know, one of the things that's interesting to me about this matchup, and it kind of goes back to Andy Dalton is, you know, you would think the Saints going to Cleveland to play a game in this type of temperature would be like, oh, well, the quarterback's going to have to adjust. He's going to have to figure it out. But in this matchup, it's kind of strange because the Saints quarterback is going to be a whole lot more familiar with this type of game than the Browns quarterback because Deshaun Watson went to Clemson, obviously doesn't get that cold there. He spent his whole career in Houston. Now he's suddenly his fourth career start is in these single-digit temperatures. How do you expect he's going to operate in this temperature? In this Turn temperature? and hand the ball to Nick Chubb. Yeah. Turn and hand the ball to Kareem Hunt. Turn and <laughs> hand the ball to Amari Cooper coming around the edge. Turn and hand the ball to Donovan Peoples-Jones also coming around the edge. That's how. Like, and, and, and I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I think that's what Andy Dalton's going to have to do. If the wind is is as bad as it is, be it's if the forecast holds true, right, and the gusts are what they are, it's going to be real difficult to throw the football Saturday. It, it it's going to come down to who can win in the trenches and win at the line of scrimmage. And the good news for the Browns, Nick Chubb going to play number one, number two. They have one of the better uh, rushing attacks in the NFL. Uh, Ethan Posick, their backup center, 
who took over when Nick Harris got hurt in training camp. He is going to be activated and is expected to start and play for the Browns. So that's going to help shore up the interior of uh, that offensive line, hopefully. Um, Former LSU uh, standout, Ethan, Ethan Pochett. Yep. Yeah, so I just I think that uh, there is a little bit of an advantage there for the Browns when it comes to the run game. But to your point, yeah, I would say the Saints have the advantage between the two quarterbacks because, well, Andy Dalton's played in bitter cold before, and so he knows exactly what to expect. Whereas Deshaun Watson, he's heard about it. Uh, we're going to find out just how much he really does love <laughs> playing in cold weather. Maybe he'll crinkle up some of that $230 million and like stuff it in his, uh, you know, in his pads for some extra, extra warmth. They say paper is a good insulator in that type of weather. He can afford some, some fancy hand warmers. That's for sure. I guess I do have a question. So obviously you're familiar with this stadium when it does get this windy, right? It's coming off the lake. So is it kind of broadsiding this field or is it kind of where you have the wind on one drive and you are going against the wind on the other? How does it usually work in the stadium? You know what? Just leave your kicker at home, go for two <laughs> right, <laughs> uh, and be done with it and, and, and go for it on fourth down. That's what I would do. Uh, First energy stadium is very tough to kick in as uh Brown's rookie kicker is finding out this year. The fourth round pick, Cade York. Yeah, we know, um, we know what we know. Cade York well. Yeah, uh, not going well kicking at home. Let's just put it that way. Uh, he made that first one. Yeah, well, that but that was on the road. That was oh, it was Carolina. on the road. You're that right. You're was right. not at home. I think it's nine of fifteen kicking field goals at home. And he's oh, okay. A couple of PATs at home as well. Hasn't missed the PAT on the road and. Uh, I think he's like 11 to 15 or 12 feet. Like he's only missed a couple of field goals on the road. So kicking at home, not going great for Cade, which is somewhat problematic because, well, this is where he's going to kick. Um, a lot. Yeah. Yes. So um, it is a tough stadium to kick in. It really, I mean, Justin Tucker missed a field goal uh, Saturday in the loss to the Browns. Uh, he never misses kicks unless it's blocked, right? The only time Justin Tucker misses a kick is if it gets blocked, but he missed a field goal. Um, so the dog pound end, which is the Eastern end of the stadium is historically the tougher end to kick in, as opposed to the West end, which is kind of weird because the, the wind is kind of blowing toward the dog pound yet. That's the tougher, uh, end to, to, to kick in. So, but I, I'm anticipating that it's just going to be a tough environment to even try field goals. I, like I said, I, I would inside the 50 yard line, four down territory, go for two, no matter what. And this is for both teams. This isn't just a, this is yeah. what the Saints should do. This is what should, like both teams. I would not attempt to do much place kicking other than kicking the ball off. And even then your kickoffs, bang them right down the field. Don't, don't try and loft it into the air and, you know, clear the uprights or whatever with it, which we've seen Kedor do that a few times. You, you, you just hammer it down the field. Well, so I, I guess when I when I asked that, I, I was thinking more in terms of, you know, it's obviously a lot easier to throw the ball when you have the wind at your back versus when you're going into the wind. So, you know, is this going to be a situation where, you know, there are, you know, our guy, our team's going to be calling timeouts at the end of the first quarter because they want to run that last play with the wind at their back versus, you know, because I like it does seem like this game's going to come down to, you know, whoever takes advantage of, the conditions where they can actually score and then whoever gets out to a lead first because playing from behind is going to be a nightmare in this game. Yeah. And uh, whoever wins the coin toss. Yeah. Right. will defer so that exactly. they can pick which side of the field they want to defend. 
uh, to set up what you were talking about, to have the wind at their back, or at least the perceived feeling that the wind is at their back in the second and the, the, the fourth quarters. Yeah, this is not going to be a game where you're going to want to have to come from behind in. So, you know, this is kind of uh, an aside. One of the things that always interests me about the Browns is they they love LSU players, whereas the Saints, they don't care. You know, See, uh, the, the Browns have the same problem that the Saints have. See, the Saints have a football factory in their backyard in LSU, and they won't uh-huh. draft the players, right? Exactly, yeah. The Browns have Ohio State, which I argue plays the best professional football in the state of Ohio, uh, <laughs> two hours down the interstate. Uh-huh. And drafting Buckeyes is yep. like a thing, uh, is is a once in a blue moon occasion. They have Denzel Ward, uh, you know, Pro Bowl corner. Tommy Togiai, they drafted him a couple years ago, and I didn't even know the dude was even a, a Buckeye. So, yeah, it's it, 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 these teams kind of mirror each other a little bit, yeah. you know? Right. So, I mean, I'm just trying to think. So, obviously, the LSU players on this roster, Cade York, Grant Delpit, as we mentioned, Ethan Pochich. Am I missing any? Used to be Jarvis and used to be Odell. Yes, that's, what that's that's what I'm thinking is Jarvis. Yeah, and Odell. it's uh, kind of you know they they, yeah. they they they've they, they've slimmed down on the LSU Tigers. And I think I I think I also get kind of mixed up because Cincinnati has the rest of them. But yeah, and then you look at the Saints and it's like all Ohio State players, and it is kind of funny. Like you talk about a team that from New Orleans going out to play in the cold, but they have all yeah. these players who are very familiar <laughs> with the state of yeah, Ohio. Ohio State historically plays well at the Superdome. Let's not forget that. By the That's way, right. when the when the Browns and Bengals play, it's basically LSU on LSU crime these days. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, oh, Greedy Williams. That's the one I was forgetting. He's also LSU. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Deion Jones, also LSU. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're all over the place. But no, so I guess... One of the things that is interesting about this matchup to the Saints, while they kind of want to pretend it didn't happen now, they went hard after Deshaun Watson. They genuinely thought they were going to get him. And Deshaun at the last second was like, you know what? <laughs> They're going to guarantee my own contract. I'm going to Cleveland. And But I think at the same time, the team, the fan bases who didn't get him were like, you know what? Okay, this is a drama that we may probably didn't want to deal with in the first place. I am curious... How has Deshaun been welcomed, if you will? You know, is is it kind of awkward at times? Do is there still kind of the kind of overarching thing now that the suspension is over? Is is it kind of just water under the bridge? How how has that been going? Yeah, I would say it's it's pretty much all about football right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, but he's a shadow of the player that we saw in Houston, and part of that's because of the seven hundred day layoff, and now the weather's kicking. So he's not going to be lighting it up anytime soon um, because the, the Browns finish next week at Washington and then in Pittsburgh. Hmm. So the 450 yard passing game or, you know, clinic that Deshaun is going to, that's going to have to wait till next season. But look, um, there's no question there was, uh, you know, uh, a fracture uh, within the Browns fan base. There is a segment of fans that, and I'm, couple of them are my friends that are like, yeah, I, I could care less about the Cleveland Browns anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. But there were, I'll tell you this, there were no protests at training camp, which I was expecting. Okay. I've not heard or seen any protests outside of games at First Energy Stadium. I, I think that m- most of the anger that is projected his way uh, following those accusations in, in civil suits has come on the road uh, from opposing uh, teams and fans, right? Uh, so 
I mean, yeah. I assume he gets booed by uh, like relentlessly by other teams. Yeah, he, he does. Um, but it, as far as my interactions and the media's interactions, uh, it's been requested since he came back from the suspension that the, you know, the questions are football related. And, and, and part of that has to do for legal reasons, because he does have two active cases still against him going. And also because of the confidentiality related to the counseling that he was, uh, required as part of his reinstatement to, to undergo. Right. So there's some privacy that's involved there. So I, I understand and respect why he is unwilling or unable to answer anything that is not uh, football uh, related. But um, yeah, it, it's pretty much calmed down and all of the, uh, the anger that is projected his way comes externally and mostly outside of, you know, the city of Cleveland from other NFL cities. You know, it's obviously a very different situation, but it is similar in the sense that, you know, Alvin Kamara is dealing with very serious court proceedings, right? And it's like, he he tries to avoid us. <laughs> and it's on like advisement from his attorneys being like, the less you say, the better. Right. Right. And so it's like, okay, either we can ask him football questions and actually get information because we do want to talk to him about the Saints. Or we can pepper him with legal questions that he's not right. going to answer and it's just going to piss him off and then he will avoid it. So it's like, you know, from a from a sports reporter perspective, you kind of have to just abide by it. Like there's not much you can do because if you just constantly piss the guy off, then you're not getting anything. Right. And, and that's kind of been the approach here. The first press conference to post suspension, you know, a couple of news reporters showed up and, and asked him, you know, asked him non-football questions and he had the the answer prepared on the advice of my lawyer and you know because of the confidentiality with uh you know the counseling i'm not answering you know i'm not going to answer it i respect the question i understand the question yeah but i just you know i'm not i'm only gonna you know i'm I'm just gonna stick to football so that's that's understandable and and i think that we as a media core in the off season did a fair job of peppering him with the you know, questions related to the allegations made against him, both at his introductory press conference at his, you know, uh, I think he talked in June again before they broke for summer vacation after the settlement uh, was reached with the NFL in August. So I, I don't want people to think that we have shirked our responsibilities right. as people that cover the team and just pretended like none of this was happening or going on. That's that's not what's happened. But now that, the, you know, he's back on the field, he's been reinstated, he has, in the eyes of the NFL, paid his price, right, just for lack of a better phraseology, as, as far as 23 of the allegations that were levied against him in civil court, the women uh, have received justice in the eyes of the legal system. You know, the legal system determined that there isn't enough there to charge him with a crime. Right. So their only recourse was the the civil court. He has settled 23 of those cases. As I mentioned earlier, two of those cases are still pending. But yeah, and that's, I think, why our focus, our attention is, you know, we're asking him about, hey, playing in cold weather and, you know, getting back on track, getting back to being the guy that led the NFL to passing in, in 2020 and, and things like that. I'm going to be honest. Like when I, when he decided to go to the Browns, cause we were just sitting there kind of waiting for so long. And uh, you know, as, as a reporter, hey, I had already written the Browns obituary, they yeah. were out of the running. Like right. I was like, 
whew, I dodged a bullet there. I'm not going to have to write or talk or exactly. anything about this, right? Well, I remember I was, next- talking, I was talking to my fiance and I was just like, you know, it's kind of annoying that the Saints still don't have a quarterback, but man, I didn't want to have to deal with that circus. And then, and then I get up the next morning and about 10 o'clock, look at the, I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I see the Schefter tweet and I'm like, no. That guy ruins days better than anybody. Yeah, yes, maybe, he does. Maybe Woj. Uh, <laughs> no, oh, you know man. what? Usually when Woj drops Cavs bombs, they're good Cavs bombs. I remember we'll the Anthony to, Davis day. That was that was a rough day. We'll, we'll just have to see if this ultimately ends up being a good Shefty bomb for the Browns here. If he's, yeah. he's two and one. Hasn't been pretty, but he is two and one as the starter for the Browns. I did enjoy that the NFL decided to suspend him exactly enough games so that he could play the Texans in his first game back. Yeah, and I it's really hard for me to believe in coincidences there, right? 11? 11's not a number. I, what? That's a total, total troll job by somebody. <laughs> Let's go 11, and he's eligible to come back December 4 in Houston. In Houston, too, yeah. <laughs> There's no way. All right, so let's let's shift a little bit just so, like, we, this doesn't end up being the Deshaun, Deshaun Watson and, podcast. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, well, I guess my last question is, you know, Nick Chubb, obviously everyone knows about Nick Chubb. He's an excellent running back. What makes him so difficult to stop? Because it's like, he's not the fastest guy in the world. He's not the shiftiest guy in the world, but he's just constantly picking up. You know, I think he leads the NFL in 20 plus yard runs, which is not what I, you would expect for a guy when you look at him as a, as a, you would expect him to be this pounding runner between the tackles. He is, and uh, he won't run away from anybody, but he'll run you over, and he won't mm. think twice about it. Uh, I think part of the reason is he squats like a thousand pounds, uh, and yeah. I'm not exaggerating. Like, I mean, yeah, it was like 600. He's built like a fire hydrant. Yeah. I, it's it's incredible. He really is, and he just he works and works and works. He doesn't he doesn't he doesn't like talking to us, and it's not personal. It's just he just he's he's just a quiet guy. Who likes to go play football. That's it. You, you know what I'm saying? The media thing is part of his job, literally part of his job. And he shows up, he does it for five minutes and walks away and goes to practice and that's it. But he has a work ethic. You you rarely see, you know, from guys, he's relentless. Uh, He's a violent, competitive runner. Um, He he always keeps the feet moving. You'll you'll see, uh, even go back and look at some of his runs. Like even when they start stacking them up, the feet are still going. He's still churning and, and, and trying to, to, to push the pile. Um, so, yeah, I, that that's what makes him him. He lets his play do the talking for him. And also, too, the Browns have a really good blocking scheme. They pull the tackles and the guards all the time. And those tackles and guards get to this, especially the guards, Wyatt Teller and Joel Batonio. They get to the second and third level. Like Wyatt Teller kills fools. Like if it, <laughs> like you do not want your corner to, or safety to have to come up and try and come at Nick Chubb because if Wyatt Teller is in front of Nick Chubb, your dude's gonna feel it the next morning. I so it 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 really is. Uh, you know, Bill Callahan uh, is one of the best offensive line coaches in the business. Um, he's here in Cleveland. And so I think it's a combination, the player, the physique of the player, the skill of the player, and the scheme that he gets to run behind has all kind of conspired. Unfortunately, the poor guy can never win a rushing title. Yeah, Freddie Kitchens uh, robbed him 
of a rushing title a couple of years ago. Thank God that was a one-year experiment. They got him out of here. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> but it, it is amazing that um, four straight Pro Bowls for him, and he just piles up those 1,012, 13, 14, 1,500 yard seasons, but he can't ever lead the NFL at rushing. It, it really is amazing because he deserves to. He's that good of a runner, and he's that good yeah. of a person. I remember watching him at Georgia and thinking, you know, I, I didn't think he was going to have this type of NFL career. But Well, because you know, of the knee injury. I mean, that was yeah. like the number one concern when they drafted him because yeah. the, 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 the knee injury was just so severe yeah. when he was in college. You're like, I see the talent, but, like, where's the durability going to come from? And he's been fantastic. I will be curious to see, because, as you know, running backs, their shelf life is so condensed compared to – any other position on the field. Right. I am curious, and my and this is why I've been so hard on the Browns this season in underachieving is because, like, I don't know how much more, you know, how many more years yeah. of Nick Chubb can you waste without making playoff runs? How many more years of Miles Garrett can you waste without making playoff runs? Like, I, I kind of feel like, okay, careers don't come to die in Cleveland anymore like they did maybe 10, you know, 5, 10 years ago. But goodness gracious, at some point, the talent has to, you know, really kind of pay off in, in, in some wins and some playoff runs here. Well, when you miss the quarterback, you, it, it messes up a lot, you know. And it's funny because Saints are having the same conversation about Alvin Kamara right now. It's like two seasons without making the playoffs, assuming they don't make a crazy playoff run this year. Like that's, you know, you're, you're ending his career on a bad note. OK, so one more question and I'll cut you loose. Um, so fill, the, fill in the blank here. The Browns win this game if what they run it 50 times okay like, so yeah. assuming they're ahead yeah and they don't have to throw yeah they're they're gonna both of these teams are gonna have to run the ball you know you, you, the good news for cleveland they're really good at it the bad news for new orleans they haven't been good at it and their guy alvin kamara is not having a great season so yeah, I, what i will say to that is and i've been saying this a lot today specifically is I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Andy Dalton's a starting quarterback, Taysom Hill outsnaps him, and they run, like, that power uh, yeah, scheme. Yeah, that gimmicky just... stuff that, yeah. And, and, and the other thing, too, that I'll, I'll say is what bodes well for New Orleans is the Browns' linebacking core this year has been completely decimated. They have four mm. players uh, that have landed on injured reserve. Anthony Walker, uh, Jacob Phillips, Sione Takitaki, and Jeremiah Usukoromoa. So their, their top four rotational linebackers are all on injured reserve and done for the year. So opportunity does knock for the Saints because defensive tackle is not one of the strong spots on the field for the Browns. And okay. it wouldn't shock me to see Miles Garrett get moved from the edge to the inside to help stop the run just because the pass rush probably not going to be as important on Saturday as much as stopping the run. All right. So one, okay. One, one other quick question. How do you pronounce the center's name? That is not Ethan Pochich. Yelda Froholt. Yelda? Yelda. Like Zelda? With yes. The, with Yelda. Yelda. It's pronounced Yelda. I've double checked it a thousand times. In fact, here, if you want, I got my, Andy Dandy Brown's pronunciation guide here somewhere. I could have tried 12 different pronunciations. I would never have gotten to Yelda. For anyone wondering, it is spelled H-J-A-L-T-E. Yelda. That is quite a name. I I'm not going to lie. So I freaked out when Posick went down and 
this kid came in because the first thing I said is, how the hell do I say his name? <laughs> and, the respo- and the response I got was, it's at the bottom of the unofficial depth chart, dummy. <laughs> and so then I looked, I was like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, there, there it is. It's Yelda. Kind of reminds me of this this offseason, and this is just an aside, is uh, so, you know, Penny Sewell, the he was a top yeah. pick for, I think it was the Bengals? I can't remember. So his his younger brother, his name is spelled N-E-P-H-I. Now, how would you pronounce that if you just had to go at it? N-E-P-H-I. Nephi. There you go. So all offseason, we referred to him as Nephi Sewell. Okay. And like we like we asked questions about Nephi Sewell. We asked the head coach about Nephi Sewell. Never got corrected. Then one day, Eric Wilson is a linebacker, comes out and we ask him, oh, you know, Nephi's been showing off in, in practices. What do you think about him? Oh, you mean Nephi? See, and that's the really, thing. wait, like, what? And the next day it was in the pronunciation guide. <laughs> right. Well, and, and the thing is, is, you know, we always want to pronounce players' yeah. names correctly. Because at least from my standpoint, if I mispronounce a player's name. You're not doing your job. I'm not doing my job and it's disrespectful to yeah. the player and, and, and the family, right? So I always get nervous. I, I remember when I was young in the business and the Cavaliers drafted Zadrunas Ogalskis. Ogalskis, yeah. They also drafted Vitaly Potapenko. Okay. And was it Potapenko? Or was it Pot- uh, Potapenko? I remember and, that name. Yeah. And I learned real fast how valuable pronunciation guides are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it is Yelda, Yelda. Fro Holt. I'm gonna I'm gonna show off uh, with, with all with all the with all the Saints fans when they if he if they if he ends up doing something they're like that's Yelda. Yeah, anyway. there there is there is a chance that you could see him because he has basically been that sixth offensive lineman in the rotation. He he's the he's basically the backup interior offensive lineman. I'll have to text our Mike Haas is our play by play guy. I'll have to make sure he's on the he's right on that one because. If he's if he slips, I'll. Uh, well, I'll if he read the Browns media notes this week, it's on there for him. Yeah. So he should. Oh, and be no, okay. knowing knowing Mike, he has spent at least like a half hour already yeah. being like Yelda Froholt. <laughs> All right, thanks so much, Joe. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. All right, that's gonna wrap it up for us in this episode of Inside Black and Gold. My name is Jeff Noack, and uh, yeah, I appreciate as always everyone listening to the end. That was Daryl Ryder. Check out his podcast, it's always game day in Cleveland. Check him out on Twitter. He's the Browns reporter for 92.3, the fan out in Cleveland. Uh, A lot of great insight there. Hope you enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back after the game for our typical post-game pod. I'm guessing Steve will not be able to be on that one, but I will check with him, and we will find out. Hopefully it's after a Saints win, and hopefully playoff hopes still intact. I think, as he mentioned, it will be a very run-heavy game, and I expect a whole lot of hasome Let's see how it goes. All right, y'all. Thanks. Peace.